0: Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Hey, um, we we are bringing this series uh, that we've called Restore uh, to a close today. And um, we're going to uh, begin a new series uh, next week that we're uh, entitling All In, and it really is built out of that moment in Jesus' life that uh, the gospel writer Luke records uh, towards the end of chapter 9 where the Bible tells us that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. That the time in his ministry had come to leave his teaching ministry primarily and head to, uh, to his death for you and for me. And so we're going to take the month, of, the month of March to prepare our hearts for Easter uh, to just look at the beauty of our Savior who, who's all in for you. Just just all in for, for you because of his great love for you. And that kind of allows me to, to help us think even about today a little bit more fully uh, as we think about launching that next week. <clears throat> We have been talking about the many things that God wants to restore in the lives of his followers now. In the here and now. That there's, there's going to be a great day of restoration that will come when our Lord Jesus returns. But until that time, God is still in the restoration business. And we've been looking at lots of different topics of, of things that God wants to restore. Today, I want us to think uh, about uh, the topic of eternity. I, I believe that God desires greatly for eternity to be restored to the forefront of the thinking of his people. I, I believe that and I hope you will after the, the, the morning is over with us today. Um, in 1 Kings... Uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, the Bible tells us, this isn't going to come up on the screen, this this isn't really part of the message yet, but it, it tells us that God gave to a man named Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. It goes on to say that he was wiser than all other men. He was the wisest man that lived at that time. And that wise man, According to God's word, wisest guy on the planet wrote these words. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he said, God has planted eternity in the hearts of men. And that's, that includes you too, women. Okay, ladies. Uh, in, in humanity, God has planted eternity in, in, in our hearts. When God created you and me, he created us with something of eternity fixed in our hearts. Some of you know that uh, I have a a fondness for the writings of C.S. Lewis. Uh, and one of those is uh, Mere Christianity. I want to read you an excerpt out of Mere Christianity uh, on this topic to kind of get us thinking uh, together on this. If you have never read uh, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, I want to highly commend it to you. It's a, it's a great read, uh, what I'll call a, a great encapsulation of uh, much of what is important Uh, for the life of a Christ follower to grasp and in the 10th chapter he opens chapter 10 which is a chapter about Christian hope Uh, this is his opening paragraph he says this he says hope is one of the theological virtues this means that a continual looking forward to the eternal word world is not as some modern people think a form of escapism or wishful thinking But one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave this present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought more often and most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men and women who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left the mar- their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. He closes the paragraph with this statement Aim at heaven. And you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. One of the the great desires I believe that's on the heart of God is for his people to be enraptured regularly with the thoughts of eternity. Now I don't know in in my lifetime and yours. uh, I don't know in the last... You know, century and and some have even said uh, that he's been the greatest evangelist since the Apostle Paul. I don't know anybody that I know of who has done more to try to eternally help people in this world than Dr. Billy Graham who's had the kind of influence that uh, God has given to him. And a little over, I think it's a little over ten years ago, uh, Dr. Graham made this statement. He said this, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. How many of you read or heard that this past week? Okay. Here's Billy Graham's message to you. Do not believe a word of it. (laughs) Don't believe a stinking word of it. He goes on to say, I shall be more alive then than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Now, I don't think that sounds like somebody who never spent any time thinking about eternity. I think Dr. Graham spent lots of time thinking about eternity. And that's why his message of the gospel was so prominent in everything he did. You know, when I read those words that Billy Graham stated about what his life would be like now, I'm, I'm reminded that he spent time meditating in such a way that he had crystal clarity on what was going to happen the moment that his body ceased to function. He had great clarity on that. Many of you who live and breathe and move around this place know that February, this, this month, has been a really heavy season for many families in our church. Uh, we, have, we have walked with many in, in our River family who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. It's been, been a tough month. Some have buried their parents. Some have buried a spouse. One of the families, uh, a mother was burying her son. It's just been a heavy, heavy month. It's been a season of sorrow. But... It has also in each of those that I have participated in been a season of joy because every one of those funerals that I had a part in was for somebody who knew their relationship with Jesus was secure and their family knew it and knew that when they passed from this life to the next, they, as Billy Graham said, were in the very presence of God. Now, our elders and pastors at our church carry, carry burdens for God's people here. And one of the great burdens that we carry from time to time is watching as our brothers and sisters slip into despair when a dream that they may have or a career that they had hoped for or a marriage that they had prayed over or a health seems to begin to crumble. And they slip into despair and discouragement. Some even into cynicism. Many beginning to just lack hope. Coming to believe somehow that their best days are behind them. If you're here this morning and you are plagued with that thought that your best days are behind you. Then I want you to know some. I believe with my whole heart God brought you here today. Specifically today and that he wants to restore in you an ability to see eternity that he says he's put in your heart. He wants you to be captured by that. See I'm convinced that a vibrant biblical vision for eternity can begin to restore life that this church, that the church of Jesus all over the world needs more of. I believe we need to see the glorious truth about heaven and eternity that awaits us so that we can keep on going, keep on keeping on with greater joy than we express in the world today. A joy that would be attractive. A joy that would be winsome. See when, when I read historically about God's people I see in ages past they had a source of strength and a perspective that is largely unknown in the Christian movement today. And it was a focus on heaven. It was their central reference point. It was, it was the North Star that guided everything that they did. And it seems like unfortunately that a, a robust biblical view of eternity has somehow just kind of fallen off of our radar screens. And I believe with my whole heart God wants us to get that back. He wants his people enamored with what our eternity is going to be like. And that will only happen if we make time to meditate on what God's Word says about it. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Colossus saying this in Colossians chapter 3. He says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. You know who that is? if If you're saved, if you're born again, if you've trusted Christ, he's talking to you. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on what? The realities of heaven. There are some realities of heaven that God wants you to know. That he wants you to set your sights on. And then it says where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then Paul says this. Think about the things of heaven. He says to d- spend some time thinking about it. Not the things of earth. For you die to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world you will share in all his glory. Now, you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, we need to be revealing to the world now the Christ who is our life. That We should be doing that better than we are. And I believe one of the things that keeps us from boldly revealing the life that we have in Christ is because we have such a weak understanding of the hope that we have in Jesus. I believe if we had this vibrant vision of our future, it would, it would well up in us to reveal the Christ who is our hope. And I believe God wants to move in us. I think he wants our affection to be for him so great that it just flows out of us and we reveal the life that we have in Christ to the world. But here's the deal. If you and I want God to restore the eternity that's fixed in our hearts, if we want to see that restored, there are a couple of things that we're going to need to do. And here's the first one that I believe we're going to need to do. The first thing that we're going to need to do is we're going to need to study and meditate on heaven. We're going to need to study and meditate on heaven. Meditating on heaven will first involve study. We'll have to study what God's word clearly teaches about heaven. And there's a great deal. Paul said in Colossians 3.1, set your sights on the realities of heaven. There are realities that are taught in this book. And you and I need to be very aware of the realities of heaven. So that we can be drawn to them. Now one of the things that will happen is after we study those we're then going to need to allow the Holy Spirit if you would to sanctify our imagination a bit so that as we're dealing with those realities of heaven we can capture another vision an additional part of that from the glory of God. Paul tells us that God gave him a vision of heaven That he actually had a vision of heaven. He was in the spirit and God gave him a vision of heaven. We know that John the apostle was given a vision of heaven. He was in the spirit and he saw heaven. And God gave him that vision and he told him to write it down. It's the book of of the revelation. We're going to read from that uh, in just a few minutes. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and many of the prophets had been given a vision of heaven under the spirit's leadership. And here's what I believe. I believe he will do the same today. If you and I will spend time studying the realities of heaven and meditating on them under the Spirit's leadership, I believe God will give us an understanding of the hope that is within us for life ahead of us. I believe God wants to do that. Secondly, I believe that if we want to see God restore that eternity that he's already putting in our hearts, we need to do something else. And that is, we need to give our hearts permission to long for heaven, to yearn for heaven. We need to give ourselves permission to, we need to be okay with our hearts longing for heaven. I've never had an NDE. I've I've never had a near-death experience. I've never been to heaven. But I miss it. Anybody else miss heaven? I mean, you just, you just miss it. Your heart longs for it. We, we need to give ourselves. There, there are, are times when uh, I, I remember being with Julio Salado, who's gone to be with the Lord now. And I remember being with him a few weeks before uh, his home going. And one of the things Julio asked me, Joey, is it okay for me not to want to be here anymore? And I said, well, absolutely. It's okay for you to long for heaven. The Apostle Paul did. Look at what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in in chapter 1. He said, I am pulled in two directions. I want very much to leave this life and be with Christ. Does it sound like he was longing for heaven? He said, I want it very much. It's far better. It's a far better thing. But then he goes on to say, but for your sake, it is much more important that I remain alive. So we don't need to be thinking about jumping ship, folks. It is important for others that we remain here. But it is okay for your heart to long for heaven, to yearn for heaven. In fact, I would say it's essential if we're going to live that life of victory in the here and now. To the people of Corinth, Paul wrote these words. He said, now we look forward with confidence to our heavenly bodies, realizing that every moment we spend in these earthly bodies is time spent away from our eternal home in heaven with Jesus. He said, we think confidently. We look, we look forward to this. That's okay to do. So you and I will not see. We will not be captured by eternity. It won't be restored in our lives until our hope gets firmly fixed in heaven. Have you ever been to a foreign country for a couple weeks or maybe longer? Or maybe you just went on a long trip. What does your heart yearn yearn to get back to? My house with my bed and after I got back from Cuba my commode. Um, You know, I, I, was, I was just ready for that. It, it was it, because it was where Joe's was supposed to be. It was a place that had been already prepared for me. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. If you feel like you don't belong here as a follower of Jesus, guess what, baby? You don't. That's why it feels like you long to be somewhere else. Our hearts should long yearn for heaven. And I believe Jesus wants us to live every day with a great anticipation and hope-filled longing for heaven. See, Jesus knew allowing our hearts to long for heaven would bring us comfort in this world, in this life now. Jesus, on the night before he would be betrayed, the night he was betrayed, the night before his death, he was gathered in this upper room with the men that he loved. He loved these men. He, he they were his friends. They were his partners in, in ministry. And Jesus looked around the room, and he understood very clearly that their hearts were very troubled, deeply troubled. And the gospel writer John records what Jesus did when he witnessed this experience going on in their hearts. Jesus said these words in John 14. Don't be worried. Have faith in God and have faith in me. There are many rooms in my father's house. I don't always like the King James translation, but this time I do. And it says there are many mansions where my father dwells. And he goes on to say, I wouldn't tell you this unless it was true. I am going there... To prepare a place for each of you, is what Jesus told his disciples. Jesus comforts, he, he tries to bring comfort to his friends who are deeply troubled by painting for them a very clear picture of the reality of heaven so that they can begin to wrap their minds around it. And the first thing that Jesus tells them is, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's going to be uniquely suited for who you are. It's going to be situated for you. And folks, if we want God to restore this vision of eternity he's planted in our hearts, we've got to study and meditate on it. And we are going to have our, to give ourselves permission to yearn for it, to long for it. So in the time that we have left, I want us to look at some of those biblical realities about heaven so that our hearts can begin to yearn for those and we can study them and meditate on them and here's a big part of why I want to do this first of all because I believe that when we get captured by a clear vision of heaven it will transform our experience on this planet now it will give our experience here more meaning in the here and now in fact my prayer for this message has become that God would give you such a passion for heaven that you will be like ready for something new to happen right now Secondly, if you'll constantly live out of that with a new question, and so part of what I hope happens today is that a new question will just begin to, to wash over your heart and mind, and it will be something like this: If heaven is like that, then how shall we live now? If that really is what heaven is going to be like, how should I be living differently today? So let's start with some realities of heaven. And some of you after I I make this first statement are going to go, duh. First of all, heaven is a place. Heaven is a real place. Now... One of the things that I discovered when I started preparing this message is I did not have enough time to do this whole thing justice. And so more than likely in the not too distant future we're going to do a series on heaven. Um, when, I, when I talk about heaven today there, there, are, there, are two, there are two heavens because we'll get to this in a minute. There is the current heaven that theologians will call the intermediate heaven, the heaven that exists right now, where those who you love, who have lived in Christ, have gone on to be with him, they are in that intermediate current heaven. But there is going to be a new heaven, as we'll see in a minute. And what I'm going to be talking about this morning is that new heaven, that vision of the new heaven, what our life in that new heaven will be like. Now, I personally am of the opinion that there is not much difference. There's not a great deal of difference in that experience. There's some, I think, but not a lot. Uh, But again, that's something I can't go into today. Now, whether we're referring to the intermediate heaven or a new heaven, either way, it is a place. It is a place. And I want to focus on this new one. Jesus told his followers that day in John 14, verse 2, he said, I am going there. To prepare a place for each of you. Now what's interesting to me is Jesus deliberately chose to use physical terms. He used words like house and rooms and place to describe what he was going to go prepare for us. And I believe he wanted to give his first disciples and every generation of disciples after that up to and including us, he wanted to give us something tangible to look forward to. An actual place where we would go to be with him. Now this place is not an ethereal place, it's not a place for like disembodied spirits floating around because human beings were not created for such a realm. It's a physical place just as human beings are physical it is a physical place yes we have a spiritual component but God created us physically we're suited for that and so heaven will be a place that is suited for the physical it will be designed like that you know God's original plan was in the beginning God created the heavens and what? And the earth that was God's original plan guess what you find out at the end of the book God did not give up on his original plan that is still part of his plan is that human beings will dwell with God on the earth that is God's perfect plan he we're suited for that God created us for that and so God is going to redeem all that in fact the great climax of history will be the creation of the new heavens and the new earth an entire resurrected universe inhabited by resurrected people worshiping a resurrected Jesus And we see this blown up big in the last two chapters of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And so I want us to take a couple moments. You may want to grab your Bibles. We're going to read out of John, uh, out of that. It's interesting to me that the the guy who wrote those words in John 14 about Jesus saying I go and prepare a place for you is also the same one I believe who wrote the words that we're going to read in in the book of Revelation. In fact if you go and study the first chapter of the book of Revelation, you'll discover that uh, the spirit of the living God told John or the angel told John what I'm about to show you you write it down and you send it to the churches write this down and send it to the churches because God knew that his people were going to need this for encouragement and what I want us to do is I want us to read the last two chapters of the book of Revelation together starting in verse 1 of chapter 21 I'm reading out of today's living uh, excuse me new living translation verse 1 Chapter 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had done what? They had disappeared. Now, I want want you to stop there for just a second. Okay? I want to stop there for just a second because I want you to look at what is the first word that Genesis 21 begins with? What? Then. It's the word then. What that means is something had happened before that. Okay? Then, means something took place before that. I'm not going to go back and reference the whole book of Revelation, but if you just jump back one chapter, you would discover some cool things take place. One of those things that takes place is Satan is defeated and he is cast eternally into the lake of fire. Always separated from God and his people. And after that, you're going to see what is known as the great white throne judgment. Where those who are not in Christ will be judged based on their rebellion and they will be, they will join Satan in the lake of fire. So prior to any discussion about what the new heaven and new earth is going to be like is this incredible moment of God's decisive, powerful move of divine justice. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Our God is a just God. And justice is going to be a part of, it's going to be a central part of our eternal experience. Now, it's also important, I think, to notice in verse 1 what it says that there is an old heaven and an old earth. And what happened to them? They disappeared. Some translations say they passed away. And when we talk about that language passed away we'll often use it when we're talking about what goes on in the lives of people who pass from this life to the next. They, they have passed away. The Bible says that's going to, to happen and for me what I understand that to mean is that the old order the old created order that was infected by the rebellion of sin that when that happened it broke this. It, 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 that's going to be purified one day. That's all going to get renewed. Okay? Let, let's pick up reading um, in Revelation chapter 21. He says, um, start over. Then, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea, I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm not going to stop no more. Okay? The sea uh, was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. Notice verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Jump to verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who held the seven bowls containing the seven lax plagues came and said to me, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, and it shone with the glory of God. Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of any day because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practice shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Chapter 22. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there. And his servants will worship him. And they will see his face. And his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night. There, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Now, I hope out of that, you begin to be captured that heaven, your eternal home, is an incredible place. And I want to just quickly kind of point to a few things that John mentions in Revelation 21 and 22. First of all, John speaks about newness. He talks about the the newness, the new heaven and the new earth and I believe that what he's referring to is something that has a new quality, a new being about it in the same way that Jesus' body was new after the resurrection. He had a resurrection body. It was still an earthly body but it was new. I believe that heaven and earth are going to experience that same type of cosmic renewal, a resurrection. People are not the only thing that are renewed. I believe that places are being renewed too. The next thing that John sees is a beautiful city called the New Jerusalem descending from heaven to earth. It's God's capital city. It's where God himself will be. And the city, the Bible tells us, descends out of heaven and it's coming from God and it becomes that connection between the new heaven and the new earth. It gives a description of its radiant beauty. And it describes that beauty as a bride adorned for her husband. And I believe it's speaking of the unity now that is taking place. I believe it is so wonderfully described because God and his people have finally been brought back together. And there will be nothing more beautiful than that moment. When God and his people are united. See the separation of sin has caused a rift in the fellowship that we were created to have with God in his very presence. But in Revelation 21 and 22 we see the beauty of that being reconciled and restored. It goes on and it tells us more about what will characterize that place of God. No tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. It says all of those things are former things and they too have passed away. And then I want you to, I hope you picked up on something of intimacy that John wrote about. It doesn't say that God is going to dry up our tears. It doesn't say he's going to miraculously suck our tear ducts out of our heads. What did it say God was going to do? He was going to wipe every tear away. Have you ever physically wiped a tear from somebody's face? A child? A child? someone that you love there is not a much more intimate experience than that and I believe that's pointing to how intimate our experiences with God is going to be he's not just going to sit on a throne and we're going to get to see him with binoculars from the cheap seats God is going to wipe the tears that you have cried from your face personally I don't know how but there's going to be a great intimate connection with the God of the universe. And I think it's so important to, to, to be captured by this reality. And, and, and important to, to be captured by God's plan for redemption. Not only involves the people that he created but the place he created. And wants to dwell with his people. So often you know in Christianity we, we only ever address the, the issues of the heart. And there's a good reason for that. But our bodies matter to God. Our bodies right now matter greatly to God. Paul tells the church at Corinth, that their bodies were the temple of God, the place where God dwelt, and that all together, they formed the temple of God, the church, the body of Christ. And what that tells me is that the gospel is not limited to geography. It's not limited to location or a physical building. But there's coming this day, and it will be as real as this day is. This isn't going to come up on the screen. But the prophet Habakkuk prophesied that one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God just like the water covers the sea. There's coming that day. There's going to be this place, a real physical place where believers in Jesus will fellowship with each other and with God. Now, that has some impact for today. The church today is certainly supposed to be more than a building more than a location and I think it's very very important that we understand that the church today is Christ's new community and that new community was created by God in Christ when he saved each of us and brought us into a family and as a new community we should be anticipating with great joy a new place That should be something that we're just excited about as a people. The truth is that the church on planet earth is currently the closest representation to what the new heaven and new earth will be like. Now some of you have had experiences in the local church where you said, oh dear God. I sure hope not. But that's God's vision that we're talking about not how we distort it sometimes. God's vision is that the church would be the the place where God's people gather to sing to the Lord, to fellowship with one another, to love each other, to love God together and reflect on his beauty and his glory. That that would be, we would be that kind of place. So that people when they gather with us would get a small taste of the new heaven and of the new earth and of this new Jerusalem, God's people. And one of the things that should be happening, I believe, is as the world grows increasingly hostile towards Christianity. And don't be surprised when that happens, folks. Jesus said it was going to. Okay? Don't freak out when it happens. He said it was going to. But I believe as that happens, more and more the time that God's people gather, at least weekly, we should be pointing one another to that rich, glorious day. Of, of what is promised to us to that, to that new place heaven is a place but not only is heaven a place there's something else that I want you to know about heaven heaven will be a new place for people with new bodies anybody excited about that? amen I am excited about that one this one's breaking down it is falling apart It's tent pegs are coming up. That's just the truth. Heaven is described as a resurrected place for people with resurrected bodies. It is not ethereal. It is not ghostly. It is tangible and touchable. Another way, I don't remember who I read this from, but I love this description. Another way to say that about heaven is this. Our eternal home is a resurrected place for resurrected people to live with the resurrected Lord forever. I love that vision. And I want us to think about for a moment the biblical realities, that's what we're talking about, of our resurrected bodies. We can know something about what our resurrected bodies are like because there is clear teaching in the scripture. We have actually been given a model in the scripture to use for us to interpret what our resurrected bodies will be like. Because we are told a great deal about Jesus' resurrected body. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes, he says this, we've already read this, but I want to cover it again. It says, the Lord Jesus Christ will transform this lowly body, your lowly body, to be like his glorious body. That's what's going to happen. The Apostle John wrote this in 1 John 3, he said, Beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be? has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we'll see him as he is to the church at Corinth Paul writes these words he wrote just as we have borne the image of the man of dust speaking about Adam we've had a body like his we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven see the difference between Adam and Christ is not that one was physical and one was spiritual It was that Adam's body was under the curse of sin. And Jesus' body was untouched by the curse of sin until he hung on that cross for you and me. His body was untouched. Jesus was, when he walked on this planet, and is today in human physical form. I don't know if you've thought about how Jesus is hanging out in heaven, but he is in the form in which he left. Hebrews 2 tells us this. It says, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, except with the respect to sin. And see, Jesus proclaimed in his resurrected body in Luke chapter 24, Jesus said this, I am not a ghost. He said, "I'm, I'm not a ghost. Now, what's interesting is countless Christians that I've had conversations with think that heaven is going to be like a ghostly experience. You know, we're just going to do the cloud-floating thing, the hovercraft thing. We're going to do a little, you know, heart music. We're just going to hang out like that. I, I, I believe this with my whole heart. I believe that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. Because nobody wants to hang out like that. Do you? Nobody does. That is not a vision from God. It's not in the scriptures. I believe it's from the pits of hell because Satan wants to do everything he can to discourage you from thinking about eternity, the truth about it. That is not going to be your existence. You're not going to be some disembodied spirit floating around. And this one's a pet peeve of mine, so I'm sorry if it comes off negative. And I don't ever do this you know kind of when you're at a funeral if you hear somebody say this don't take them on then but I I need to tell you according to God's word there has never been nor will there ever be a human being who goes to heaven and becomes an angel it will not happen I don't care how great your grandma was she did not become an angel now I know where people get that from There's a place in the scripture where Jesus is trying to get it through the thick skulls of the Sadducees that you're not going to be married in heaven. And so he says it'll be kind of like angels. You're not going to be married. They're not married. You're not going to be married in heaven. And so some people have taken that to mean, oh, we're going to be angels. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 3, and he says this. Do you know that we are to judge the angels? You're not going to be an angel for eternity. You're going to judge the angels. Now when I read that verse and I think about some of the incredible things the angel Michael did. And when I read that word judge it basically means I'm going to get to tell him what to do. That freaks me out. But that is part of my eternal experience. You and I will command angels. Man, you gotta wrap your head around that one, baby. That's like crazy. That's part of our future eternity. See, the the magnificent, cosmos-shaking victory of Christ's resurrection brings that for us. And by definition, it was a physical triumph over a physical death in a physical world. That's what the resurrection is. And we need to be captured by that. And again, I think everything else is a lie from Satan. See, friends, if Jesus had been a ghost and we were just going to become ghosts, then the truth is redemption would not have happened. Because part of redemption was over these broken bodies. Jesus walked on this earth for forty days as in his resurrected body showing us a little bit of what walking around in a resurrected human body was going to be like. He, he demonstrated where, where we would live as resurrected human beings. He demonstrated that our resurrected body could interact on earth in a physical place. Christ's resurrected body did that. It was suited for an earthly experience. It was not suited for some kind of ethereal thing. When Jesus was raised to live on the earth, so too you and I will be raised to live on the new earth that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22. Luke records that the risen Jesus walked and talked with disciples. That there was a day when he walked on a road with two disciples, to a road to Emmaus. And as he was walking, they didn't realize who it was. I I believe that God needed to reveal that to them. He needed to keep it kind of hidden from them for a little bit. But they were not shocked that they were walking with a man who began opening the scriptures to them helping them see the reality of the resurrection the truth of what happened on the cross and that when they sat down with him to have a meal with him and he broke the bread the Bible says their eyes were open I believe God had kept it hidden but it wasn't like they thought oh my gosh we're hanging out with a ghost this is like totally weird they just thought you know the only thing they thought weird was how come this guy didn't know about Jesus being crucified that was the only thing that seemed weird to them they didn't think he was a weird aberration they thought he was just some guy that wasn't up on current events. So, they, 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 their eyes are open and they see this physical Jesus in their presence that they've been hanging out with. They didn't think anything was weird about that. When they were walking, he wasn't like on a hoverboard. You know, he wasn't hovering above the ground. He was walking with them. When he ate bread... There wasn't like, you know, he had a clear chest and you could see his esophagus and the bread dropping in. It just, he had a real body that could eat and digest bread. We know from John's writing in John chapter 20 that the resurrected Christ had an encounter with Mary Magdalene. She called him Sir, though even at first she didn't recognize who he was. And there are a lot of good explanations for that, but the moment that Jesus spoke her name with his Jesus voice, she recognized him. And the Bible says she turned. Now what that tells me is most likely Jewish women in that day would not have made eye contact with a woman. A woman wouldn't have made eye contact with a strange man. She would have avoided that happening. And so she thought this guy was the gardener. She wouldn't have made eye contact with him. But when she heard the voice of Jesus that she knew, This resurrected voice had not changed so much that she did not recognize her own name coming from his lips. The Bible tells us that she turned. That she recognized Jesus calling her name. Over and over again in the Gospels, you can see Jesus connecting with his followers in his resurrected body. In John chapter 21, we see him standing on the shore of the lake. And he wasn't floating or hovering and he calls that in a voice and it doesn't say it was like some kind of voice, you know, FM voice that we see, you know, in the movies when God speaks. It was just a voice of a man standing on the shore and he asked them about how the fishing was and he told them, you know, to come on in that he would, he would cook him breakfast. And that's what Jesus did. He, he started a fire and he was cooking fish when they suddenly realized who it was. And they took off for the shore. And Jesus didn't seem to snap his fingers and miraculously, you know, a fish, fish dinner appeared. He cooked and he invited the disciples to bring some of their fish and join him in cooking and he ate with them. There are other appearances that are recorded. That, and, and in those appearances, the disciples aren't necessarily freaked out by Jesus appearing as a man. And Jesus got so close to them that some of them held him, fell at his feet. Some of them touched the holes in his his wrist. They they saw the the, the, the side where the spear had pierced him. He he was close enough that the Bible tells us once he breathed on him. Jesus' breath over you. Man, that would be like crazy stuff. Then his body, is resurrected body somehow was able to appear in locked rooms... We don't know how, and we don't know for sure that our resurrected body will be able to do that. Maybe that's just something because of his divine nature, but maybe not. Maybe our resurrected body will be able to beam me up, Scotty, kind of thing. Who knows? You know, we don't know all of the details. But one of the things that this communicates about Christ is what a resurrected body will be able to do. He gave, in his resurrected body, he gave them tasks. I believe Jesus will give us tasks to do that are created for all eternity. Being with him. One of the other cool things to notice as you look at the interactions of Jesus in his resurrected body with the people that he loved is that the interaction didn't seem to suddenly become something new, something weird. There's an important word when you're thinking about eternity in this life, it's the word continuity. You may want to write that word down. Continuity is an incredible part of what you and I are going to experience in the new heaven, in the new earth. You're not going to get dumber and forget people that you knew here. Okay, there's not going to be a cosmic stupid moment. Okay, you're going to actually get smarter. When you look at Jesus's interaction with Mary Magdalene and John and Thomas and and Peter after his resurrection, it was like he just picked up the conversation where he last left off. He just related to them as the people that he knew and he loved. Because resurrected relationships are going to be powerful too. We're going to experience continuity there. And see, once we understand this, that Jesus' resurrection is a prototype of our own. That Jesus' resurrection is such a model, such a good model for what our resurrected bodies are going to be like that it can actually be used as a tool to interpret our new heaven, new earth experience. We can actually use that as a tool when we read the scriptures to understand what our experiences are going to be like. What a resurrected people will look like. And I believe we should use that tool. So, What will it be like to live in the new Jerusalem and the new earth as God's people? Well, I'm convinced it's going to be the very, very best of what we have relationally now. It's going to be the very, very best of what we have relationally with God and one another with unbelievable levels of fulfillment and holiness that we've never known. Multiply your very best experiences with other human beings, you know, times infinity and then you're going to get it it's going to be absolutely incredible just imagine the very best imagine every life marked and characterized by unity and love and joy just imagine that think of what what it's going to be like to enjoy a cup of coffee with Moses there's going to be coffee in heaven (laughs) I'm just telling you I believe it with my whole heart and it's going to be better than anything you've ever experienced on planet earth so far. It's going to be new heaven coffee, new earth coffee. It's going to be great. Just Im- imagine, you know, what, it, what is it going to be like to open Psalm, one of your favorite Psalms, and sing it with David. Is that going to be like crazy? To ju- I mean, to just be able to do that, to listen to listen to the wisdom that God gave to Solomon. To pray with James. Talking to God with James. Go fishing with Pete. You know he's probably gonna wanna sit in the front of the boat. That's just the kind of guy he seems to be. You know, but just doing those kinds of things with people. Who, Who do you wanna spend time with that's already there? You're gonna get to. If they're in Christ and you're in Christ, you're going to get to spend time with them. Imagine playing soccer with somebody who, for their whole life on this planet, were physically challenged, unable to. Imagine having an enriching conversation with someone who the last time you saw them, their mind was racked with Alzheimer's on the new earth you're going to get to. Imagine meeting people who came to Christ because back in Christmas Eve when you gave generously to fight human trafficking, somebody came to know Jesus because of the ministry that we were involved in. And you're going to get to sit and be with them for all eternity. You know, imagine spending time with that family member that recently left us not long ago and imagine people of every race and tribe and culture and custom and tongue gathered for all eternity sharing their different stories of their lives on the old earth because I believe we'll remember and every single one of them stories have one common statement in them And then Jesus saved me. Everybody gathered their story will be completely different until they get to that one sentence where they're able to say and then Jesus saved me. Can you say that? Because if you don't, if you can't, everything that we've talked about today will not be your experience your experience would be very different from that but God in His grace has made eternal life possible the Bible says for everyone for all who would call upon the name of the Lord can be saved and you can do that right now you can just say dear Jesus I have come to realize that you are the God of eternity That you did die. That you were buried. And that God by his power raised you from the dead unto life. And that's a down payment for me. If I will repent of my sins. And that basically means turn away from thinking I can save myself. Thinking I can fix my own life by myself. Thinking I don't need you God. Repent of that. And trust that what Jesus did on Calvary's cross paid that penalty so that you could be with him eternally experiencing the kind of life that we've been talking about. By God's grace, please be somebody who can say in their story, then Jesus saved me. And then for the rest of us, Let's be the people of God who are so excited about heaven and those realities that we can't help but, as Paul said, out of the gate in Colossians, we can't help but reveal Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come now giving you thanks for what our future is and it's all because of you. It's all your grace. It's all your power. It's all your might. And we come giving you thanks now. And God, our prayer now in this moment is that we will become your people so captured by your vision that you have given us of our future as your children gathered with you eternally. That we can't help but to tell other people about our Lord Jesus. That we'll want to reveal him to every man, woman, and child where we live, work, and play. Help us, God. Root that vision, your vision, of our resurrected bodies in that resurrected place with our resurrected Lord. Renew that, God. Renew eternity in our minds and hearts. We come now, God, asking you to take... Our gifts, our offerings, our tithes that are yours. We bring them back to you, God, asking you to expand them into the kingdom so that others too would have that same experience and be able to say, then Jesus save me. Help us, God. Take our gifts now. And take our worship, word as we celebrate the goodness of you in all eternity. And it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 930 or 11 o'clock services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.